Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. <laughs> little glitch in the audio there, Logan. I heard two one two threes. No, it's all good. I'm just checking on Facebook if our audio is good. And I got a snowman here. You know what? You want to build a snowman? I do. Guess who these two are? ZPAC. <laughs> Dr. Demania, Dr. Demania, and Dr. Demania. Thank you for joining me. This is Z Mom, my mother. Hello. A physician, a psychiatrist, also my mother, as I mentioned. And this is Z Dad. Uh, Physician, internist, private practice, also my father. So Rustam Demania, Shireen Demania, Zubin Demania, three generations of Demania, welcome to the show. Good evening. <laughs> All our friends and no friends, foes, I'm sure you're thrilled seeing us tonight. Ah, yeah, we're... <laughs> We're all very excited to talk about physician impairment. Uh, no judgment, no reason that I chose these two, just that they're my parents and they happen to be in town. We just ate dim sum at the dim sum cafe, which was the place that uh, Z-Pup and I were live from that, that took an hour to serve us the food. Today, they made up for it in spades. I highly recommend it if you're in Vegas. And we all are bloated and postprandial. And now we're going to talk about probably the most important topic that we've talked about in a long time, Z-Pack, and that is what to do if a physician or a healthcare professional that you know is impaired. What does it mean? What does impaired even mean? What are our sort of ethical, moral, and legal responsibilities to report? And why is it one of the most crucial questions to actually answering how we can work together culturally to change the culture of medicine, to support each other and our caregivers so that we can take care of our patients? The ultimate goal is keeping our patients safe while keeping ourselves safe. So I thought having a psychiatrist, having an internist, and having whatever it is I am, a hospitalist, talk about it would be good with these two clowns over here because they're muggles, they're non-medical people. And both of them are chronically impaired. So let's, uh, <laughs> let's start, so Z-Dad, what, 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 is, what is it, people say impaired, it seems to me like a euphemism, like, oh, he's a little bit, he's touched by something. Like, what does impaired even mean? Actually, impairment uh, is in three categories. One is substance abuse, out of which alcohol is the most common. Right there, check. 10-15% of physicians are actually addicted to alcohol. So actually qualify for alcohol use disorder, et cetera? Yeah. Yeah, that's a lot. And then the other is uh, prescription drugs. Yeah. So they're addicted mm -hmm. to that. 
They're getting the high third, on their own supply. Getting high on their own supply. Mm-hmm. That's, That's right. right. Very yeah. true. And the third is street drugs. Mm. And the other category is physical. Alzheimer's disease, dementia, and uh, actually, for statistic-wise, 3 to 11% of uh, all people over the age of 65 have some sort of dementia. Mm-hmm. And remember, 18% all practicing physicians today are over the age of 65. Oh, so 18% ZPAC of doctors are over. Logan's coming over here, which means... Uh, <laughs> Just got to fix the dad's bow tie, Mike. <laughs> I'm telling you, the bow tie to get you every time. Every time. That's why they don't wear on TV, okay? Bow tie is the way to go. Do you want to make it lower? Uh-oh. Doesn't cooperate. So anyway, so while he's fumbling with the wardrobe malfunction, this is the kind of professional show we have here at ZPAC. He's basically... All right, check. So... 18% of practicing physicians are over the age of 65. This is actually a significant number, and I'm not sure about other fields or industries. In, in the airline industry, for example, you don't see that happen because typically either there's mandatory retirements or they have very strict sort of guidelines as to who can fly. But in medicine, that isn't necessarily the case, although this has come up quite a bit that people are constantly uh, wondering, should we be testing uh, older uh, physicians for impairment and that sort of thing? Um, Ooh, Z. Yeah. Jen says, what about sleep impairment? I thought that was called just like being a doctor. That's called being a doctor. <laughs> you got pulled over once, Zima. Yes. Tell us the story. Yes. I was a psychiatrist attending in three different psychiatric hospitals. So by the time I went to the third hospital, I was coming home around 9.30 or 10 in the evening, and I was stopped by the police, sirens and flashing lights, <laughs> didn't know it was me, didn't pull over, got into trouble. They were, the police officer got me out, made me walk the line, did a breathalyzer and said, ma'am, you, you're not intoxicated. <clears throat> so when I told him I was extremely tired and sleepy, he gave me a very kind admonition and said, take care of yourself, mm-hmm. drive safely home and don't do it. So... So in a way, you were an impaired physician then. I, I yeah. wasn't, an, and I learned my lesson. Right, because you could have run uh, into somebody, you uh, could have I, hurt uh, yourself. It uh, would have been a disaster, a right. catastrophe. And I learned from that incident that I would never, ever uh, drive if I was... So we had a resident who ran into a tree post-call. I mean, he broke his leg. These things happen. So there's different degrees of impairment, physical, mental, substance abuse. Yeah, and mental is uh, what? Depression? Oh, anxiety, suicidal tendencies, bipolar, these are all mental Schizophrenia, yeah, schizoaffective. So you, obviously you, uh, have you ever had to treat physicians suffering with mental illness? As a, part, yeah. A, a couple, now mm. I'm talking about in the 19, the mid-1980s, physicians with uh, mainly alcohol dependence. But... My colleagues in residency have been, we always knew there was something not quite right because they were circumstantial and tangential until they became floridly psychotic. This was a colleague in residency. A colleague in, a colleague in residency and as an attending at the VA, uh, one of the residents. And the sad thing 
about it is even the attendings tend to kind of overlook things until it becomes absolutely uh, full blown. Yeah, so it's a physician heal thyself kind yeah. of thing, yeah, right? So, so what? So substance abuse. That reminds me, I actually recommended an in, a resident, a friend of mine for residency, and the chief of staff one day called me from the VA hospital and said, do you know you recommended this doctor? He's a really fine doctor, but he's addicted to morphine. Yeah. But See, eventually, he, it was, he, he got over it. Yeah, yeah, because a lot of people do. See, this is the things, Epac, like a lot of people don't realize. Recovery from addiction happens more commonly than the press will report. Most people actually, given the circumstances, will eventually get better. And so treating it in a disease model is actually very appropriate if people are willing to get help. Now, the tricky part is when the doctors aren't willing to get help or they're in denial or they're worried about their license and they don't get help, then certain ethical obligations come to the fore, yeah. which we'll talk about in a bit. Ooh, but, see, I yeah. have a question about treating it in a disease model, right? Doctors are special cases, though, because they can't go on, like, you couldn't put a doctor on Suboxone, could you? You couldn't put a doctor on Methadone. You know, they can't go on replacement therapies. It has to be abstinence only, doesn't it? Let's really think about that, because the question is, is there anything that you're doing, taking or uh, encountering that will interfere with your ability to practice your job at uh, a safe level for patients? And if the answer is no, and you're on, you know, some medication therapy, uh, and again, I'm not going to speak specifically to methadone or suboxone, any of that, is that okay? And we're going to get to that as a question of what should state licensing boards even be asking us? Because right now, if they ask you, do you have any mental illness? That can be horribly sort of off-putting if you're trying to be, uh, if you're trying to encourage physicians to report when they have illness and get help if they're afraid that it's going to affect their licensing, which mm -hmm. in many states it does because yes. they're asking the wrong questions on that form. Instead of asking this question, is there any illness, medication, condition, mental illness, whatever, that you have currently that interferes with your ability to practice medicine safely? That's the question because if, if you have treated bipolar, that disease is not interfering with your ability to practice medicine. Exactly. The concern is people don't report, and Stat News did a piece where they actually studied this, and they found a good percentage of surgeons are afraid to talk to anybody about their mental illness because they're afraid it's gonna affect their licensing. Yeah. Now that is a, if the idea is to keep patients safe, if the medical board is to keep patients safe, isn't that the opposite of what we ought to be doing? You know, so is. that, yeah, yeah, so that, that, and we'll talk about that, but, so what are the signs, like if you're looking, look, a lot of us have doctors that are impaired and we've seen it. A lot of us have had colleagues or nurses or other people in, in the healthcare space that have been impaired and we've recognized it. But what are some of the signs for like a patient or a person who's never really dealt with this? How will they tell someone's impaired? Well, there are basically two categories, overt signs and subtle. Mm. Overt signs are coming to work intoxicated yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. people obvious. do that yeah. we had a oh, yeah. we had a uh, oh. guy at the va a radiologist who used to do that uh, and my own yeah. own years ago my own OBGYN, bless his heart would be reeking of alcohol and i knew it and i couldn't do a thing about it didn't well, do a thing about it why well we'll get about why you didn't do that because that to me is an interesting question a lot of patients a lot of colleagues sweep this under the rug some of it is def deference to authority some of it we'll talk about fear of retaliation fear of being wrong about yeah. it 
fear uh, of uh, being in a glass house and throwing stones, yeah. like you've got oh, your own geez. skeletons. <laughs> Uh, that was always my thing, Tom. Like, I would never report anyone for crack because I'm like, they just need to look in my bag. And there's like, a lot of crack there. You'd be like, what I do on the weekends is none of y'all's business, okay? <laughs> exactly. Exactly. I like to party, too. Uh, and the other overt signs are use, using drugs. Just like my friend was using morphine when he was a resident. Mm -hmm. So he was obviously there. So this he was, was using it. access to it, right? Yeah, this he had was, access to it. This was back in the day when morphine was like a cool drug to do. Now all the drug addicts say they're allergic to morphine so they can get something much stronger like Dilaudid or fentanyl yeah. or something like that. Then if you notice some behavioral changes. Like what? Moodiness, mm. depression, distraction. They're distracted. They're not really listening to you. This is Tuesday for me. Like this is just every day for me. How is that different than just me being an asshole? You can tell, you can tell the changes in that particular person. Either he's, you know, he's speak, speaking more rapidly than he usually does, or he's withdrawn, he's not paying attention, reeking, reeking of alcohol. So those are more obvious. Signs. Yes. So, gobble, gobble speech. But what about some subtle signs like they're well, irritable? Subtle signs uh, yeah. are professional errors. Yeah. Mm. Like a surgeon making professional errors, and I can give you some examples in the next segment. Yeah, but that's yeah. well, you know, I, I, Anger. Yeah. Showing anger. Irritability. Irritability. Absent, not coming to work. I, this is like Tom and Logan. <laughs> How is this? There? I mean, these two, lucky they don't actually d d touch patients, or do they? Um, I get high at work every day, you guys. <laughs> <laughs> it's great. Actually, this is the first time you're not wearing your sunglasses. That's Are right. These just your I have my regular glasses. Your regular today. glasses. Mm -hmm. You look so professional. Thank you. Thank you. And con <laughs> constantly complaining of headaches. Hmm. That could be a sign. So these are subtle signs. Marital subtle. difficulties, financial poor problems. Poor hygiene. Right. Poor hygiene. Withdrawn. Getting a Mental problems. DUI. Financial problems. Mm. DUI. Yeah. Poor health, it could be. Well, so then the question is, and I know, I mean, we could dig it deep into that, but I'm not sure we need to so much. You have cases and, so ZDAD actually being, how old are you now? Can we tell uh -oh. them? I'm, I, I am within the 18%. <laughs> <laughs> right. So this becomes a, a, an existential question because you, uh, uh, you always want to ask yourself, too. You want to self-regulate and go, am I competent to do it? Are you still see patients in a disability setting? Yes. And so on. But you closed your practice because it just was too much, right? Yeah. Yeah. So at some point, you start to slow down and you do what's appropriate for what you want to do, too. Yes. But there are people who don't do that. So they're still practicing surgery. Your own surgeon who did your paraesophageal hernia repair had Parkinson's. Right. Unreported. Right. And how did you find out about this? Because of the complications you had or was it something else? Well, the surgery didn't go well off. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah, you remember that. And then I was told by another physician that uh, when, I, when he was assisting this particular surgeon, he noticed his hands shake. Oh boy. Oh boy. Mm -hmm. And a couple of years later, he was a younger surgeon. Mm -hmm. Don't Overall, say his name, by the way. No. Yeah. No. yeah. And he actually uh, was admitted to a nursing home and he died prematurely from Parkinson's. Oh my disease. gosh. Yeah. So, 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 okay, ZPAC, understand this. You have three doctors here. We have all at some point in our careers encountered impaired colleagues or treating physicians for ourselves. 
So my dad's surgeon, and you gotta understand, my dad had a lot of post-operative complications. We don't know how much of that, like your, your phrenic nerve was cut yes. inappropriately. So half his diaphragm is, or half his diaphragm is paralyzed. Mm. He had bowel obstructions, which could have been an unrelated thing. But again, the question is, was this impaired impairment, the tremor at the time responsible, or was it something else? Was it just bad luck, whatever? We don't know. Then my mother, Yes. actually had a physician, the OB-GYN, who was uh, alcoholic, uh, what and, else? Uh, and late uh, alcoholic and a drug addict, bless his heart. And then he had uh, hyperthyroidism. <laughs> In the southern sense, right. Yes, uh, hyperthyroidism with severe tremors. And I used to just pray that I wouldn't have to undergo another procedure with him. And bless his heart, he did pass away also prematurely. But I never could, I didn't want to leave him. I'm well, fine. So, 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 I, just didn't want to leave. I just didn't. So you stick with him until he died. Because I, I, I remember you calling yeah. me and saying my OB guy died. Yes, and you were very upset. Yeah, you got married. Yes. Now, yes. And here's the thing. Uh, there's been data on this. Robbie Pearl in his book, Mistreated, actually, we had him on the show, the CEO of Kaiser. Which, by the way, I remember one year, Zedad told me, don't ever work for Kaiser because you'll be a, a cog in the machine. <laughs> And then I went and worked for another cog in the machines. It's all, we're all the machine now. And Kaiser may be actually the cleanest machine. Anyway, so Robbie Pearl in his book wrote about why patients, even when confronted with evidence that their doctor is impaired, not the best doctor, doesn't really know what they're doing, they stick with them. And there's a lot of things. There's some of it's an authority thing. Some mm -hmm. of it's a social thing. Some of it's superstition and fear. It's a primal fear that if I go against this healer shamanic figure, something bad will yes. happen to me. And you have a relationship with them that has nothing to do with their competence, but more with a trust that you have. Yes. With them. So all those things mean that that impairment is underreported. Now, colleagues don't report because we have a code of ethics. We have a code of honor. It's mm -hmm. not ethics. Our ethical code said we should we should give them and all the state boards say this pretty much. They say it is our ethical responsibility to make sure that physicians who are have substance abuse, mental illness, physical impairment that affects their care of patients get help, we help them get help. If they refuse to get help, then the ethical and in some states legal obligation is to report them either to the medical board or to the hospital authorities that are responsible yeah. for physician uh, aptitude, et cetera. Mm. But we don't. A lot of the times we don't. Some of it is a code of silence like police have because we all in this crucible together and we feel, this is just my, me thinking. Mm -hmm. We feel like we're uh, hurting a colleague and his livelihood and someone who worked so hard and maybe they can get help, maybe we're wrong about them, maybe they're gonna retaliate, maybe, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And there's a million reasons why we don't do it, but ethically, morally, legally in some cases, we have to. Yes. And, and this is something that, again, I wanna impress on you guys. I know it's really hard, but the first step is helping them get help. And if they can't do that, they refuse to do that, it's our obligation to protect patients and the treating yes. uh, clinician. From, from, from harm. Absolutely. So was there anything you wanted to say about that or any other piece of that? Well, uh, do you want just a, one or two surgical experiences? Yeah, give me, give me a surgical example. Like for example, <clears throat> a patient has a laparoscopic uh, cholecystectomy. Mm -hmm. And the surgeon signs off without making sure that patient is stable. Mm -hmm. He gets a call in the night that the temperature is up, the blood pressure is down, and the surgeon doesn't return the call. <laughs> We've all been there. Yeah, and nurses, he, uh, hospitalists, you're right. ICU guys. And the next day, the patient is in the ER. The ER doc does a CT of the abdomen, 
finds internal bleeding, goes for a patient to send for another surgery, and has to have his cystic artery ligated. Because it was never clipped. Because it was never clipped. Oh. And now, guys, so you know, during a- Poorly clipped. Poorly clipped in a cholecystectomy, that's a key thing. You clip off the Uh-oh. cystic artery. And again, I'm not a surgeon, so don't take anything I say as medical advice. Don't go do your own cholecystectomy. But if you don't clip it, it can bleed, it can ooze, you can have catastrophic uh, complications. Now, the allegations would be that there was negligence involved because he never returned the call. Yeah. And he didn't provide sufficient coverage. Mm-hmm. And the, the other part would be that... Uh, Negligence, yes. But it could have just been a complication. And it could be a complication. Right. So the defense will argue that, yes, bleeding is a complication of surgery. Yeah. But they will also agree that negligence was a factor. Right. But then what ended up with this doctor? Turns out he had something. Well, it turns out that he was addicted to alcohol and drugs. There you go. So now... On the stand, okay, it's an incredibly difficult defense, right? Because this guy is impaired, unreported, negligent, and the patient had a fatal complication. So again, legally, ethically, morally, ultimately this is about our patients. This patient died from a procedure that my mom had and is sitting here with us. It's a common procedure. Why did it happen? Probably a mix of things we can't say, but we know that the impairment from drugs and alcohol certainly didn't help and probably contributed to this, at least in theory. So that being said, right? Then you want another case just for an I, I think I think you know what I want to do is I want to read a case. Yeah. Okay. Because yeah, this one gets to the heart. Is there anything else you want to say about impairment? Uh, why don't we repair uh, report impairments? Right. And we were saying it's a lot of different things and a fear of retaliation, etc. Well, here's the thing. Here's the thing. So they don't know. What do you a mean? A lot of people say, I don't know how to report it. Right. So if you don't know, there's a thing called Google <laughs> where you can find out. But people literally, they'll say, I have no idea who I tell. I'm worried. I get messages, ZPAC, from healthcare professionals. I work with a doctor. I work with a nurse. I think they're diverting drugs. I think they're, they're doing this. I think they're committing Medicare fraud. I think whatever. Mm-mm. What do I do? And I'm like, you don't email a stranger on the Internet and ask that question. You go to your supervisor, you go to, you Google a, a legal question, you talk to a lawyer. It doesn't matter. You find the answer and then you follow up because to not follow up again is an ethical lapse on your part. And you can be legally responsible for yes. that. Absolutely. So remember, it's not just about covering your patients, covering your colleagues, about covering your own butt. By the way, Z, uh, Holly Dixon says nurses have an aggressive diversion and probation program, but MDs do not. Yes, yeah. this and, is true. Yes. And uh, Melissa Christensen says that, you know, basically, I'll, I'll, she says she caught a nurse who was an ICU nurse who was drunk and she reported her. She went through diversion. Uh, that nurse got treatment and now basically thanked her for reporting her so she was able to get clean. Man, I have had nurses and docs message me and tell me stories of their own addiction and how they were ultimately caught and how that being caught was the best thing that ever happened to them because they were in such a spiral that something terrible was going to happen. So again, in a way, you are doing this person a service by reporting and doing it in a compassionate way. You want to make That's sure, important. right? You want to make sure you're right. You want to make sure, and, and you should talk, ideally you should talk to them, right? Talk but, to the patient. Yeah, talk, well, talk to, to the, the, the physician, surgeon, impaired yes. doctor. Uh, and it's terrifying to do that, but you, but you have to. Now here, here's, here's a twist on this. 
I did a piece recently about a VA surgeon in Washington State or Oregon, I forget exactly where, who was uh, kicked out of uh, his program having just signed up and all his staff messaged me and said, this is one of the greatest surgeons we've ever worked with. He's a hero, he's a vet, he's done great work here. And the chief of staff, uh, this guy Rajan in the VA, uh, had him uh, uh, fired after doing a peer review that was never made public what the accusations were. And, and this question of sham peer review as a power trip by a supervising uh, chief of staff or somebody else. So can the tools of impairment reporting be turned against us as a political attack? And it's happened. Yeah. And so the question is, how do we self, how do we police ourselves so that doesn't happen? Yeah. And I, we may not have the answer to that, but remember, it's not always cut and dry. There are uh, false accusations, et cetera. Like anything, these are human beings and there's politics and weird people and borderline you know, there's personality disorders and all of that. So, anything to add to that? Well, as Tom just mentioned about the diversion program, California has no diversion program, mm -hmm. like almost every other state. Mm. And their reply was that uh, as per a statement of the California Medical Board website, the Medical Board concluded that the diversion program was not sufficiently effective to ensure the safety of patients under the care of an impaired physician in diversion. Mm. So the program was eliminated. Yeah, so that's a way of saying, I don't know what that's saying, right? <laughs> it may be saying that they don't want to do it. Maybe there's a physician lobby that said we don't want this. Maybe, you know, who knows? Yeah. Physician lobby is quite powerful and at the same time completely ineffectual. Yeah. So we're stuck in this catch-22 where we want to have the best possible ethics, the best outcomes, the best support for each other, but at the same time, we're being pushed on on all sides. So it's very, very difficult. I wanna read something. So what happens when this stigma about reporting becomes a problem for a physician or any healthcare professional? And it's totally missed until something horrible happens. Yeah. So, and you have experience with this, and unfortunately, many of our, our fans on Facebook do because I've gotten a lot of messages about this case. This was um, the headline uh, was surgeon shot dead his children, yeah. nine and five, then himself because he, quote, feared they would inherit depression. Now, let me get into this. Christopher, Dr. Christopher Dawson, 36, was found dead by his wife, Rachel, alongside their children, Aubrey and Luke, in Texas. This was earlier this month, like December 9th or something. Now, just let that sink in. I've talked about the distinguishing characteristics between empathy and compassion. If you feel empathy, you feel the pain of this family, you will not be able to function if you're a parent. If you have compassion, which is love in the face of other people's suffering and a desire to relieve suffering, you will look at this and say, we must never allow this to happen again. And what happened? I want you to, I want to read you Christopher Dawson, uh, Dr. Christopher Dawson's obituary that appeared in the Star-Telegram. And I want you guys to, let me know what you think about this because we don't know who wrote this. There was a lot of speculation who wrote the obituary. Now remember he survived by his wife and his parents and all of that. So Christopher Chad Dawson, North, North Richland Hills, Texas. On the morning of Saturday, December 9th, 2017, Christopher Chad Dawson lost the battle with severe depression. After years of suffering with anxiety, depression set hold and Christopher was unable to escape its clutch. He found happiness in teaching his son Luke sports skills and watching him at sports games. He helped Luke through a lot of his anxiety. So Luke, the child, had anxiety, um, but was overwhelmed with the thought of Luke growing up to be like him. 
Bree, the daughter, was his little princess, and he never wanted to go to bed without a kiss and a big hug. His children adored him, and he adored them. Chris worked hard to overcome his anxiety. He obtained his business degree from TCU before deciding that he wanted to commit his life to medicine. He sacrificed fun, free time, and relaxation to receive his medical degree at UTH SCSA. He then took on the challenge of a surgical residency in Phoenix, Arizona. Between his ever-present anxiety, long work hours, and intense stress, the Chris we knew and loved began to fade. Chris and Rachel started having extreme marital problems, but the children were always loved above all. He managed to make it through his residency, but was damaged and attempted to self-medicate his hurt. Already we're seeing signs of impairment that even the family was seeing, that other people were seeing, right? He fought to get out of the deep, deep hole he was in, but was afraid the repercussion of his career if he were to get professional help. Listen to that again. He fought to get out of the deep, deep hole he was in, but was afraid of the repercussion of his career if he were to get professional help. Again, we have a surgeon. Think how scared your surgeon was to tell his doctor that he started noticing a tremor. I mean, it's the end of everything that he's worked for, right? In his mind. He felt hopeless, worthless, and trapped. and, and, And to follow up on that, and yet now you suffer with complications that are lifelong because of that failure to report. So this is not, this is a, if you're looking at compassion, the suffering that has been unleashed by failure to report is immeasurable. He felt hopeless, worthless, and trapped. On Saturday morning, while not in his right mind, he did the unimaginable. But that was not the Chris his family and friends knew and loved. Chris was an intelligent surgeon, a loving father who had so much to offer the world. But the sick disease of depression, anxiety, and addiction did not allow him to continue the journey. He survived by his wife, parents, etc. So... This is one of our own. This is a, a doctor who struggled with the stuff, who didn't report, right? Who this horrible tragedy happened that no, they're never going to recover from fully. And again, it's a failure of compassion for, to, to, to be compassionate to ourselves when we're suffering to get help and be compassionate to our patients to report others who are suffering and compassionate to these children who lost their lives because this was not managed. Now, Z, let me compound this and make it further uh, more complicated. Melissa says, I reported a nurse and she ended up being charged with theft of narcotics instead of diversion, and she ended up losing her license and then committed suicide. So there are a lot of Z-packers who want to treat drug addiction as a criminal event and as some sort of, um, you know, moral failing. And whatever you feel about the moral failing part, Treating it as a criminal event, and I will go on record with this, is absolutely the wrong answer. Yeah. It's the wrong answer. Do you agree? I mean, yeah, you're, absolutely. you two are both pretty conservative. I'm pretty moderate. Whatever your politics, I think throwing somebody in jail oh, absolutely. No. for this crime of use or diversion seems crazy to me. When you can, there's shown treatments that work. Absolutely. Does, did, did, have, you, have you had to deal with a, quite a bit of this as a psychiatrist? Oh, oh. This was in the 70s during psychiatric residency. There were two psychiatrists. One we knew was schizophrenic because of the flat affect and the circumstantial speech and the hallucinations. We all ignored it. He hanged himself in the basement of of the housing there at the hospital. The second one was a a psychiatrist around my age at the time with a five-year-old daughter suffering depression, 
she drove herself and her daughter off the bridge and killed them both. And we feel, and to this day, I feel we could have done something. We should have done something. And now we know that we can and we should. Compassion, be non-judgmental, talk to them first and then do something. Now, what is Make the sure something? they get treatment. You can talk to the chief of staff. But of course. You can talk to the license board. So these are the two things. Besides, helping the person for depression, alcohol or drugs, 70 to 90 percent of alcohol and drugs can be cured. So in other words, 70 to 90 percent of treated yeah. addiction like that in this setting can be cured according yeah. to the data that yeah. you saw. Yeah. So, but, guys, but dementia, of course. Right. Well, dementia is tricky. Yeah. Dementia but, means recognizing and understanding that your career needs to wind down very quickly and you need to get get treatment for that, which means finding a good caregiver, support, all the things that we struggle with. And you guys better not get dementia because I'm not taking care uh, of you. I think you I'm already extremely have. busy. Oh. My sister will have to be deputized. Oh, oh, oh. She, I will send she, gobs of non-existent money. She will money. us. <laughs> That's what she will do. She, you guys think she's kidding. This entire, if my parents are ever euthanized, you need to go after my... No, I'm kidding. Uh, <laughs> you know, and, and again, not, not to belabor this, but... So yesterday, mm -hmm. physician takes his own life at Froder Hospital as SWAT team responds to suicide threat. 43-year-old physician took his own life. I believe it was an anesthesia resident, wow. actually. And uh, barricaded himself in a room, and they found him, and they're waiting on autopsy and all that. Now, like, this is a treatable, preventable tragedy. And we in healthcare who pride ourselves on being smart and using evidence and having compassion fail consistently. We do. But we don't we do. have to. We don't have to. Exactly. The point is we know better. Now we know better. Your elephants know this now. We need to go forth and do the right thing which are all the things that you were talking and about. And this is important. We know better now. Back in the day, we really didn't. We were practically stupid then. Mm -hmm. We saw usually, things and did nothing. Usually hospitals have physician health programs. Right. Now, see, the problem is a lot of them are this, oh, you should do some mindfulness and maybe do some yeah. meditation and take some time off and recharge your batteries. They don't address oftentimes the fundamental problem, which is uh, workload responsibilities out of proportion to ability to handle it constantly without having the resources to manage, without the support, without the culture that supports us. And then if there is mental illness, getting actual treatment, because sometimes you're gonna need medication, you're gonna need therapy. If you don't get that, you can meditate yourself into oblivion. It's not gonna exactly. cure the problem, as you know. Yeah. So, uh, I mean, in third year medical school, I was horribly depressed, okay. terribly depressed. But everybody was. You yes. were depressed. Oh, I know that. You did a that pathology, a pathology oh. internship. That was the worst. I mean, I think I was almost psychotically depressed. And the minute I decided, let me follow my heart, do what I've always wanted to do, psychiatry, that was the end of the depression. Now, you were pregnant with me while being psychotically depressed as a pathology resident. Uh, so no, you exposed me to uh, that was stress your hormones. That was your sister. Oh, was it? Yeah. Oh. I, I had you during my internship. Oh, that's um, a lot better. Oh, it was much better. <laughs> it was much better. <laughs> then I wonder why I'm so neurotic. Uh, um, anything to add? Well, how about uh, these malpractice insurance companies? Do they screen? Candidates before giving them insurance? 
I bet they don't. It sounds illegal to me. At least NorCal in California does not. Mm-hmm. So they'll, they'll insure you, which I think that's good, right? We don't have pre-existing conditions in medical insurance anymore. Why should we have that in malpractice? Yeah, they don't. One thing I want to say about malpractice insurance, uh, folks, if you've, ever, you know, if you've ever dealt with them, they are there to support physicians. They're there to give you resources. Like my dad learned a bunch of stuff from his company, NorCal, doing their CME about impaired physicians. So they actually can be a very good resource uh, to learn quite a bit. Um, I recently did a CME because you, you get a discount on your malpractice yeah. if you do this, their CME. Yeah. So I did a couple of units about the biz, business fraud in medicine, and I learned a lot. I learned, first of all, me, Tom, and Logan are committing extreme business fraud on a daily basis. Oh, my goodness. Uh, Non-medical fraud. And, and Medicaid fraud because <laughs> I have uh, three walkers in the front window. So if the, if the IRS comes here, it looks like it's legit. <laughs> <laughs> I love that we're running a DME, a durable medical uh, equipment scam, because it's like the least lucrative scam we could I know, and we're not, we're not even in Florida, Z. I know. There's like three old people in Las Vegas. Actually, that's not true. A lot of people come here. Actually, that's a good... You know what? We were talking about like diversifying our this enterprise, ZDog Industries. I'm thinking durable medical equipment might be the next thing. I'm I'm in. You got, can I get a loan? Uh, I, he's the boss. Oh he's yeah, he, he's the boss when when I ask for a loan. Otherwise, yeah. uh, you're the boss. Well, I got I got a good I got a good uh, comment here for for Z Dad, which is. I worry, you know, Katie says, I worry more about aging physicians that don't want to wind down but show physical and or mental deficits. Mm, that's true. I'm sure it's hard to realize this about your own self and let go of a career that truly defines you as a person, but patient safety should be number one in my experience, and hospitals don't have good ways of dealing with this. You know, so you, you said that uh, you had a physician who actually harmed you, and as you've gotten older yourself, have you reduced your scope yeah, of practice? Yeah, you have. Yeah, yeah. I have exposed, I mean, reduced my complete exposures to treating patients. Just, now just, it's evaluation. I just do evaluation. Right. And when, when did you notice that you needed to reduce your scope? Well, at the age of... Uh, I think you were 68. 70, <laughs> Ten I years decided ago. to quit. Was yeah. it in 70? Yeah. Like oh, basically right. like retirement. Yeah. But then I decided that I should do something on a part-time basis. Why? Just to keep busy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's yeah, good yeah, yeah. yeah. Keep no, your mind going so you don't get dementia. Yeah, mm. but this is important. We need to know our limitations. And by the time I reached retirement age, I was getting very irritable and very... <laughs> a little bit depressed and anxious, and I knew then that wasn't right, not for my patients and not for me. And so then, slowly and steadily, I kind of re rehomed all my wonderful, beautiful patients that I still miss, and then I quit. Mm -hmm. I didn't quit. I started taking care of a new grandson. Mm, which is a psychiatric emergency in itself. Absolutely. Yep. Mm -hmm. Much more challenging. It's all access to. Uh, very much so. <laughs> <laughs> uh, excellent. Tom, any other uh, comments, thoughts? Uh, no. no. Uh, any what, other? What about... Uh-oh. <laughs> Impaired physician versus uh, improper care. How do you distinguish whether someone's impaired or just an idiot? Is mm. that what you're saying? Yeah, impaired care. So, yeah. so, so what's just straight malpractice and stupidity or not practicing the standard of care 
which by the way, the standard of care is a lot of times stupidity. We just don't know it yet. Um, what's your what's your point? How do you distinguish them? Yeah, how do you distinguish them? I don't know. Yeah, yeah. yeah, I mean, it's all the things you talked about, I would guess. Yeah. If it's all those things, you just sense that this person is impaired from other <coughs> issues, like the surgeon who did the cystic artery thing. Yes. They didn't know he was an alcoholic and a drug addict yeah. or suffering from addiction. We don't say addict anymore. It's not PC. Yeah. Got to say, like, suffering from addiction. Oh, absolutely. We're all about PC on this show. Be also be, yeah, of course. Yeah, exactly. That's why uh, Logan is um, Latino-American. Is that right? And Scott, Scotto Latino American. Uh, and Tom, Tom is Caucasian American. Yeah, I'm just pure white. <laughs> I'm as white as you can Ooh. be. Ooh. <laughs> that's, the, <laughs> that's the least PC thing. Isn't that um, the truth? Oh my goodness. So, basically, if you're going to report somebody, you have to be very, very sure that this is not impaired professional practice versus, uh, versus poor. Poor practice. Poor practice. Right, right, right. Okay, well, how do you, yeah, that's going to, and again, that shouldn't, that either way, you should be concerned about this doctor. Either way, you should have a conversation with the doctor and maybe the superiors, or who, I don't want to limit this to doctors. Everybody, nurses, nurse practitioners, PAs, everybody who touches patients, and probably some people who don't touch patients, like administrators, are, are rather impaired. And you've seen evidence of it, and they're making poor decisions, and those decisions affect lots of lives. So let's not limit it just to frontline clinicians. Uh, other thoughts? What are you guys having fun in Vegas? You're going to go home tomorrow? Yes. What about uh, HIPAA? <laughs> How does HIPAA what fit in What do you mean HIPAA? Uh, you mean HIPAA. 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 <laughs> <laughs> HIPAA. <laughs> HIPAA, I told you that I like her. Uh, what about HIPAA? Does HIPAA, uh, does HIPAA, this is actually a good question. Does HIPAA apply to reporting a physician who's impaired? Uh, it really doesn't. Because you're not treating that physician. That's the key thing. Yeah. If you are treating that physician, that's, you're under HIPAA, you're a, you're a covered entity. If you're not treating the physician, you can report. Now, here's the thing. If you are treating the physician and the physician refuses to get treatment for their impairment and continues to practice. Or insists on going back to practice. Right you still might be ethically obligated to report. Yes. And it's a, look at your state laws, but just understand that, that HIPAA or not, this is a, a safety issue and you might be ethically reported, uh, required to report. Yes, exactly. So you're not off the hook. HIPAA doesn't protect you from this. And in fact, you might still be in hot water if you don't. And ethically, it's not quite right. And you can be sued. You can be sued. You can be sued but for in the anything. courts, they will look at you uh, favorably because you have an ethical obligation in protecting the patient. Right, right. And protecting the doctor too against so, harm. So what, what you're saying is you can be sued if you report a doctor, okay, for impairment, but usually in court, they're going to look at you favorably because yeah. of the ethics of it. So anyone can sue you for anything. You can be sued for libel or slander or whatever it is. Tom knows the difference between libel and slander, a son of a lawyer. Mm. And Ooh, uh, slan <laughs> slander is spoken, Z. Libels right. in print. So basically, right. I'm mostly slander with a little libel on the side. Yeah, you're slanderous. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but I've said bad things about Dr. Oz, none of which aren't true. Oh. None of which aren't true. Oh, I'm a fan of him. My mom loves Dr. Oz. Yeah. You like Dr. Mike, too. I certainly I do. like Dr. Mike. Dr. Mike is like a better Dr. Oz. Mm. He's more handsome. That is true. He's more scientifically accurate. And he's more younger. All those things are okay with me. I'm an ageist. Laura Walker says uh, medical professionals are mandated reporters. So, yeah. I mean. Yeah. 
And again, talk to your local uh, ethics committee or uh, look at your local laws to see what's required of you. But either way, you kind of know, all right? So now, on if you're a chief of staff and somebody brings this complaint to you or a member of the board, are you protected? Yes, according to NorCal in California, yeah. you have to make sure you get additional coverage to protect malpractice you. insurance. Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Besides, yeah. besides the usual right. malpractice, right? There is the other two categories that you should be. If you are a, a leader, uh, physician, administrator. Yeah, yeah administrator. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. So again, like, and you'll notice what my dad tends to focus on are these issues of liability because how many years in practice you're always worried is somebody going to sue you, and you actually did great in a career. I don't think you ever gotten any. Uh, Malpractice yeah. issues. Yeah. No, no, not at all. That's really unusual. Yeah. Really unusual. It's a testament to developing relationships with your patients Very important. so that you can hide your mistakes, sweep them under the rug, mm -hmm. and lie about them mm -hmm. on the stand. And the, and the physician that is least sued is a psychiatrist because of the patient. Is that true? Yeah. Is that really true? It's the truth because of the patient well, uh, the bond. bond and relationship and this the time is, uh, we spend with to them. To bring mm -hmm. some humor in this talk, I was. Good luck. <laughs> I was I was actually sued once. Yeah, but and you won't believe why. Why? A patient came in and told my secretary, "You fat b." Oh. Yes. Called your secretary. Yes. Then? Yes. Uh, oh. Because she, I didn't know you had it. a secretary. Yeah. yeah my so goodness. For whatever reason. Remember that case. Oh so yeah. yeah. The and then patient, what happened? Patient went outdoors. Yeah. And from the window, she was screaming, "Fat b, oh. fat b." So my the word is bitch, by the way. Oh, oh. Sorry, I can say it. He can't. Oh. So yeah. my medical secretary lost her cool, went outside, and something happened. Uh oh. And the patient fell. No, they oh. got into a cat so fight. She, <laughs> she put a yeah. sue, uh, sued me. Yeah, for, for millions ah, of dollars. Ah, right. Because I, I am. So yeah. I told my insurance company, it happened outside my premises. It didn't right. happen in my. Under mm -hmm. my roof. Right. But they said, well, she's still your secretary. Yeah, of course. So we have to go yeah. through the yeah, process. Because, yeah. mm -hmm. because you're responsible as Absolutely. for screening her for her Absolutely. conduct in the, on the facility. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And she never had, the patient never had any injuries. So the, the lawyer wanted $12,000. Uh-huh, settlement. And settlement. I, I told my lawyer, I'm not settling this case. Oh, snap. <laughs> So then what happened? I am going to fight this. I never the heard end. the result of yeah. this. Okay, yeah. so what happened? So I was all dressed up to go to the arbitration judge. With this? Everything, I was dressed up. <laughs> then the lawyer calls me and he says, hey, doc, forget it. You know, we're going to pay him $2,000 and forget about it. 2000 Yeah. And that was it? That was and it. The and the patient didn't get patient the probably The got, lawyer uh, got it. <laughs> it all went to the lawyer. Yeah. That's how it works, Tom Hyer. Mm -hmm. But right. remember, this went on for eight, nine months. Yeah. Uh, More than that. You have to get depositions. Yep, yep. And, and all the opportunity oh, cost of bad. being away and the stress. I remember you were getting yeah. ulcers over this. And because, again, it's like you're getting sued by this uh, patient who's, first yeah. of all, is calling your secretary horrible names. Uh, Only 70% of which were appropriate. Yeah. And, then, and then you have to go. <laughs> yeah, but she was sued too. The secretary was sued too. Oh, and then but she did she do okay? Did she uh, she went into a deep depression. Oh. And then she didn't come to work and she quit. Look, how many, okay, how many times has a patient yelled at us and we wanted to take them outside and just, you know, 
school them. You can't, you shouldn't, you don't, because we're professionals. But, but sometimes people snap. Uh, yes, and I have been very guilty of that, but for me, it worked. <laughs> what do you mean, what, you beat up patients? No, oh, no, 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 no. <laughs> no, I've yelled at them. Oh, yeah, sure, sure. I mean, yeah. really yelled at them. Right. Stop, leave, that's not appropriate. You've got to sometimes set limits. Hey, good. I Peter mean, Peter Gallagher, I did a piece on yeah. him. He's an emergency doc in, uh, in Florida. Viral clip. This patient went in. Apparently, this patient was yelling obscenities yeah, yeah, at the yeah, staff, yeah. threatening to bring her big black husband in to yeah. beat everyone up, demanding to be seen, etc. So he finally snaps, comes out and says, get the hell out of yeah. here, blah, blah, blah. And it works. And it went, well, the problem was the daughter was like, mom, I got this on camera. Yeah, yeah. Put it, made it viral, yeah. made it viral. Did you think I was doing a racist accent? It was a white chick. Yeah, yeah. oh. <laughs> <laughs> My mom reads a lot of tabloids. You need to understand this. So then at this point, uh, it goes viral and everyone's like, this doctor's a monster. He treated this patient like this who was just waiting for an interruption for a, for a, for a, um, waiting for an appointment, yes. and everybody was piling on him. So you know what we did? We did a video defending him, saying, you know what, sometimes, sometimes, as Kenny Rogers said, sometimes you gotta fight yeah. when you're a man. And he never, he never laid hands on her, although he did take the daughter's phone, which was probably a no-no. Yeah. And it made national news, and we you know what? We started a counter movement mm -hmm. where people came to defend this guy, and we're very proud of that, because again, we gotta support each other in service of the patient. This patient was actually <coughs> not, according to the full police report, was not behaving in a way that was conducive yeah. to other patients getting good care or her own good care. All right, on that note, guys, Wait, we're, no. I just wanna mention, oh, gosh. <laughs> what is it? I've been trying Whoa. to end this cast for the like last 15 minutes. <laughs> what, what, what did we learn today? What did we learn today? So basically, is ethical consideration, safety of the patient. That's the bottom line. Yep. That's worth repeating. Okay. It's about our patients, mm -hmm. right? If we take care of each other, we support each other, but also have tough love and compassion when people need help, then we support our patients, and that's the best we can do as healthcare practitioners in a 3.0 world. And on that uh, note... No, wait, I just want to end the talk with a little humor. Oh, uh -oh. good lord. <laughs> da hashtag dad joke, do you have that? What is it? <laughs> we can cue it up. I didn't, yeah. I didn't it up. A patient goes to see his doctor. Uh -oh. Here it comes. And after the examination, the doctor says, you, I have some bad news for you and some good news. Yes. And the patient say, hey doc, give me the bad news first. And the physician says, you got uh, Parkinson's disease? congestive heart failure, severe arthritis, irritable bowel syndrome, <laughs> and Alzheimer's. And the patient says, oh, doc, that's awful. What could be the good news? So the doctor says, the good news is, within one month, you'll forget whatever I've just oh, told you. Oh, Lord. <laughs> so that's just humor. That is just humor. Do we have that dad, that dad joke hashtag yet? It's coming. Okay, it's coming. That, see, I, what makes it awkward is how long you have to wait for the dad joke hashtag <laughs> to actually appear. Wait. <laughs> because I'm not leaving until that hashtag comes up. Before we go, I want to know what Z Mom and Z Dad bought each other for Christmas. Oh, yeah. What was the Christmas present? Did you get anything this year? Yes. We gave uh, each other love. No, uh, uh, I, I don't know about that. <laughs> All this excuse I gave in the book. Him, he needed socks. Ah, that's oh. a good present. Z, Z wife gave me socks. Yes. Yeah, yeah. and they were great. And yeah, he, Banana Republic. He got socks and a t-shirt that said, life is an adventure every day. 
and I got some Dad good joke. hard cash. Good. Good. Well, I'm glad that the love is still there after how many years? 50 uh, years? Almost. Almost 50 years. Yeah. Uh, 50 years, uh, yes, of meeting. Of meeting? And being engaged. Okay. And the right. two more years for the big one, if we're around. You'll be around. I hope not. You better be. Oh, oh, thank I you. I don't want that inheritance until the tax laws are more favorable. <laughs> <laughs> don't, don't die this year because the estate tax changes next year. Uh, All right? Yeah. 10 million. You don't have that. Million. No, we but don't. I can dream. Yeah, you certainly uh, can. On that note, Zpac, thank you uh, so much. Hit follow. Wait, yes, ma'am. Yeah, no, you, I thought you were going to adopt me. No, that's okay. You never know. I could win the lottery. Okay, we, let's... Uh, Come to me after that happens, and we'll have a discussion about estate tax planning. Uh, hit follow if you like Zdad and Zmom. Let us know if you want them back. Thanks for all your comments and the great discussion. Please, please, please share this with people that you care about, because we want to raise awareness about this, especially the epidemic of suicide among impaired physicians uh, and other healthcare practitioners. We're not just limiting it to doctors. It's just that's been the conversation in the national news lately. And on that note, Tom Heineber. Bye-bye. Wait, I want to tell a dad joke. Hey, Z, where do baby apes sleep? Where, Tom Heineber? In apricots. <laughs> I hate you so much, Tom Heineber. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wait, 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 come back, come back, come back. So, so you got to understand this real quick. Today, we're, okay, Mrs. Dog's parents, my in-laws, and these two, we all have lunch with all both families at Dim Sum Cafe. M uh, Margaret's mom, yeah. my mother-in-law, says, oh, in Italy, when before the, you know, this is what old people talk about, currency and the weather. In Italy, before the advent of the euro, they had the lira, and they were so tiny, you had to have tons of lira. And, uh, it's lira, Z. Anyway. No, right. <sighs> I hate you, Tom Heineber. So the lira, <laughs> and so my dad says, you know, you don't pay by counting money, you pay by weight. <laughs> and everybody at the table stopped and was just like, nobody got the dad joke, <laughs> <laughs> except for me and my wife. And we were like... Yeah, and everybody else was like, no, you don't weigh it. You just... Yeah. And I said, really? That's true. In Venezuela, they, they weigh the money. That's true. Make it stop, Tom Heineberg. Wait, wait, one more joke, one more joke. Yo, Z, knock, knock. Who's there? 9-11. 9-11 who? Ooh. You said you'd never forget. Oh. Uh-oh. <laughs> <laughs>
So, and that, that ripples out into systems, into transforming healthcare and education and government. So it st- really starts with us. So join us there if you can. Again, zdogmd.com forward slash supporters. And I'm so grateful to have you with us.